0: Let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Our Father, you have blessed us abundantly uh, by giving us uh, your word, uh, by not staying silent, uh, by showing us uh, what our hearts are like in it, and showing us um, how to come to you and when to come to you. Pray you be lifting our eyes uh, to Christ uh, this morning and filling our hearts with Him. Pray that the the words of my lips. Uh, would be uh, pleasing in your sight, as with the meditation of all our hearts, and His name we pray, and, and for His glory, Amen, Amen. Just for for a bit of reference, if you haven't been with us over the last few Sundays, we've just finished preaching through, or almost finished preaching through, chapter one. Uh, Jonah and the same, Jonah runs from God, and God sends a, a, a huge storm upon him, and uh, he is hurled into the sea, and that uh, calms the storm, and this is what happens next. Chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and You he heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yes, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. So I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord's and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord's. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up out upon uh, the dry land. Well, most of us will have watched uh, a film or a movie where uh, the, the action in the film goes from commotion uh, to quiet very quickly. There's a lot of action, and noise, and suddenly everything slows down. Silence falls, and the spotlight turns onto uh, the main character. Uh, children, if you've watched The Lion King, you might know what it's like when uh, this great herd of buffalo stampeding down the hill and trample them and fast, and The action's loud. And then it goes quiet, and the dust settles, and the silence falls, and we zoom in on Simba. A similar thing is happening here in the book of Jonah. There's chaos and commotion upon a ship. Jonah's chucked into the sea. is swallowed by a great fish, and the spotlight swivels. And we focus down on Jonah as he sits in the belly of the fish, silent for three days and three nights, and opens his mouth and prays. It's worth saying there that the spotlight isn't actually, in this passage, upon the big fish. As Christians, we sometimes get into all sorts of uh, muddles, try and sort out whether this big fish is, is an analogy, did it really happen, or is it just trying to teach us something, or, or is it history? So just, just to pause there and say, to point out that, that the fish, as you see in the passage, is really just a framework for the prayer. Fish swallows Jane at the start and vomits Jonah up. At, at the end it, the fish is the means of deliverance that God uses and our doubts arise when we come to this passage because humanly speaking uh, this is impossible we don't know of anyone who's ever survived in the belly of a fish three days and three nights but we just need to remember that Jesus says to us that with God all things are possible that God rises stone cold dead people from the grave in fact God Jonah says earlier is the God chapter 1 verse 9 of the sea and the dry land. And as one preacher puts it, if he made the sea, he can certainly command the big fish to do as he wishes. The spotlight is not on the fish here. The spotlight is on Jonah and on his prayer in the belly of the fish. And really you can divide the prayer into two parts. Verses two to seven, is Jonah reflecting on his drowning experience? He meditates on it. And produces verses 2 to 7. It's a reflection. In verse 8 and 9 uh, is his resolution going forwards as he, as, uh, off the back of his reflection. So, focusing down on, on verses 2 to 7 to start with, and we'll spend most of our time here, verses 2 to 7. There's one big thing to draw out, one very simple message. I know normally in sermons you have three points and you go through them. This morning, you have one big message, one thing I want you to take away as you leave this morning. And it's this when God God hears you when you cry out to him. God hears you when you cry out to him. That is, that is the core of Jonah's reflection here. Uh, verses 2 and, and verses 7, he says in verse 2, I called out to the Lord and he answered me. I cried and he heard my voice. Verse 7, he says, when my life was fainting away, my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. God hears uh, when you cry out to him. Where was Jonah crying out from? Well, verse 2, he says, Out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, he says in verse 2. As the waters were closing over to take my life, verse 5. As my life was fainting away. Not fainting in the sense of swooning, but fainting in the sense of, of dying. When I was at death's door, he says. That is when Jonah cried out to the Lord. What was his experience like in that moment as Well, First thing to say is that his experience was suffocating. He says the flood, verse 3, surrounded him. If you ever stood in a river and felt the pull of a current against your feet, or you've gone under a waterfall, you'll know the fearsome power, even on a very small scale, the water has. But Jonah's out at sea in the ocean, he says, The waves and the billows passed over me. you you ever seen one of the marble folds, you can think of the incredible Hulk pounding his enemies into subconsciousness. The waves are pounding Jonah into unconsciousness. It says, your waves and your billows passed over me. Uh, verse 5. It's a suffocating experience. The waters closed over me to take my life. And I sank down, down, down. He says, I sunk down to the roots the bottom of the ocean and the weeds wrapped around my head. You ever seen footage of a, of a ship sinking slowly, you know how little by little goes beneath the surface and then with a quiet whoosh, almost unremarkably it disappears and the sea is calm where it once was. You can follow the ship as it drifts down, down, down and settles on the ocean floor among the seaweeds. Jonah's experience here is suffocating. Don't miss the the power of that and the poetry uh, of this part of scripture. But worse than that, worse than the suffocating experience, is that he's experiencing God's judgment. It says, you cast me out into the deep, verse 3. Of course, we know, chapter 1, we know that it was the sailors who cast him out. Uh, But but Jonah's no fool. He can look beyond that and see the hand of the Lord against him. You cast me out. And then with the billows and the waves, whose are they? Not just random ones, they're your waves and your... passed over me and pounded me down. But worse, even than that, the true depth of his darkness here is that he experienced abandonment by God. He experienced God-forsakenness. He says, verse four, I am driven away from your sight. I am distant from you, O Lord. I am estranged from you. You have no longer my It feels like you're no longer my father. My God. He says, I've gone down to the pit. His bars are closed upon me forever. There's no escape. I can't get back to you. I'm down here forever. And the tragic thing is, as as he's been with us the last few weeks, he has no one to blame but himself. He ran from the Lord. He ran from his presence. And so the Lord responds in kind and drives him away. I oh, wonder, can, can you relate to Jonah at all? Can you relate to Jonah at all? I don't mean in the physical experience. I imagine none of us have been swallowed by a fish. Um, if you have, do you come and tell me. It would be a great illustration for future sermons. But imagine none of us have been swallowed by a fish. But can you relate to the, the experience of Jonah? The emotional experience of Jonah. The sense of suffocation. sense of darkness closing in and surrounding him. Even perhaps the sense that God is against you. God has inflicted you, that God's judgment is on you, can you relate to to being distant from the Lord, being far from him? There's all sorts of ways that that might come about. The most obvious, the most applicable to this this piece of scripture is that your your soul has been awakened to your sin, perhaps you're a Christian, but you've been living deliberately in disobedience, in, in rebellious ways. And even this morning, perhaps, as we've gone through the order of service, as we've read the story of the prodigal son, even then, there's been a gradual growth of haunting anxiety as you consider the depth of your disobedience and remember and realize how far you might have walked from the Lord. That can bring you to this place, or perhaps differently, uh, something you hold dear has been stripped from you. Something that you hold precious has been taken from you, and that would be true for many of us currently living in a coronavirus world. Something dear to us has been stripped, some sudden, sudden trial, if you like, has come upon you. And like Righteous Job, do you remember Righteous Job earlier on in Scripture? You don't know why, you can't explain it. You just have a sense the Lord has allowed you to be inflicted, and the darkness rises up. Or perhaps there's neither sin nor Trials have come upon you. But it's just the the turmoil of your mind. Doubts rise up, darkness in in your mind, despite what's going on outside of you. Doubts over yourself, doubts over your faith, doubts over God. Is he really good? Is he really kind? Does he really love me? Am I really saved? Did Christ really die for me? Am I really valuable to God? Am I really valuable to others around me? The doubts rise up and they suffocate. and And it feels like, you're drowning. You can relate to Jonah's experience in that. It feels like you're a lamb, an empty field bleating for its mother, but there's no reply coming. Or like a disgraced child who knows they've done something wrong and longs for the comforting arm of his father, but it is yet to come. Jonah cries out from that place and he's drowning in the ocean. What this has to tell us is the Lord heard him and the Lord answered him. The question, of course, is how can I be confident that is true? How can I be confident that is true, especially when the opposite is true? It's easy enough to believe, isn't it, that God is good, that He loves me, um, that I'm not distant from Him, when, when everything in life is going well and it is good, but it's, it's in the darkness of the valley, isn't it? So the darkness of the valley, the struggles come. Maybe even this morning, that is a struggle for you. How can I be confident the Lord hears me when I cry out? What gives Jonah confidence? Well, verse 4, he says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Or better, I think, in the NIV. Um, I will again look towards your holy temple. It's something that Jonah is doing in the moment as he drowns. He looks towards God's temple, the magnificent building in Jerusalem that Solomon built. He looks there. Now, why does that give him confidence? Well, because the temple to the Jewish believer is the stamp of God's steadfast love to him. Children, if you've ever walked past, children, if you ever walked past a uh, pavement and uh, you've seen a, a footprint or an animal print uh, in it, what do you know? Or you know that an animal or a human has been that way and has stamped in the wet cement. It's proof, if you like, that that person has been there. There's evidence for it. Well, the temple for the Jews was evidence that God loved them, that God had made promises to them. For example, God promises the Jewish people, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the temple is the stamp of his presence with them. It's the place where sinners can go and offer sacrifices and find mercy from a holy God. And Jonah remembers the Lord. He says that, doesn't he? He says, I remembered the Lord. I remember that the Lord has bound himself to my people. I remember the Lord has opened his arms to sinners. And so he cries out, remembering what the Lord is like and what the Lord has done. And verse six, and the Lord answered him and brought up my life from the pit. Jonah's waywardness has sunk him has down, down, down to the depths, drowning in the depths. But God's faithfulness is what lifts him up. How can I be confident though? I don't have a temple. How can I be confident? What stamp do I have? Well, of course we have the Lord Jesus, who is infinitely better than the temple. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 6, he says, I tell you something greater, something greater than the temple is here. In John's gospel, he talks about the Lord Jesus becoming incarnate, coming down from heaven. He says that the Lord has come to dwell among us, literally to, to temple, if you like, to temple among us. And the person of Christ, God, away from us to become uh, God with us. But why When I look particularly at Christ Yes, he's God with us, but why, when I look at him, can I be convinced that even though I feel forsaken, even though all my senses are telling me that I am forsaken, even my mind is telling me that I am forsaken, when I, when I look at Christ, why can I be convinced? Well, when I look at him, I know, I know that I can never be forsaken regardless of how I feel regardless of what my senses are telling me, regardless of what my mind is telling me. When I look at Christ, I know I can never be forsaken because I see the one who was forsaken in my place. And because of that, I can have faith that I will not. As we've said before, Jesus and Jonah are parallel. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and in Luke, actually, says that Jonah is a sign that his ministry and what happens to him is a sign putting us forward to, to Christ. There's a resemblance between their two stories. And of course, we see that most clearly this morning. Verse 17, when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, Jesus says, that is like me, being in the belly of the air, three days and three nights. And at the end as well, actually, uh, when Jonah's vomited up, we see echoes of Christ's resurrection. And so it's not surprising, actually, when we stop and pause and consider it, that when we read the prayer that comes between the death and the resurrection, we just get a taste, we get echoes that, um, of Christ's experience on the cross, something that resembles him. Christ cried out on the cross, didn't he? He cried out similarly, I am driven from your sight. What did he say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ the man experienced the depth and the darkness of Sheol in our place, but he also prayed and trusted on the cross. He felt abandoned, felt forsaken, and yet even as he breathed his last, he said, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. He trusts in deliverance from death. And just as Jonah was drawn out of the belly of the fish, so Christ was drawn out from the belly of the earth. Now, why, why does that bring us confidence again? Well, uh, Heidelberg Catechism is a series of answers, questions, questions and answers explaining the Christian faith. And in the Heidelberg Catechism, you can look it up afterwards if you want, it talks about the Apostles' Creed and, and commentates on it. And in the Apostles' Creed, you've, you've got this funny line. Um, sometimes you read it here at church. Uh, it says that after Christ died, he descended into hell or ascended he to the dead, depending on what version you have. Well, why does it say that? Heidelberg Catechism question four asks, why does it say that? Well, it says that, says that, There's the answer. Uh, to assure me, to assure me in times of personal crisis and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain and terror of soul, especially on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. That Christ experienced being forsaken for me, experienced hell on the cross, that when I face personal crisis, whether the result of my own stubborn sin, whether it's because God has stripped Something from me, where the doubts are just rising in my mind and drowning me. And I face that. Even in that moment, I can know that I am delivered. Isaiah forty three speaks powerfully in this way. Isaiah forty three, verse one and two. It says, "Fear not," the Lord speaking. "Fear not." Verse two. He says, "Why must I fear not? Fear not." When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And why is that? For I have redeemed you, says the Lord. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Christ says, those who come to me, I will never cast out. Come to Christ and you cannot. In fact, I would say you you cannot be forsaken. Because he was forsaken in your place. Who does your salvation, Christian? Who does your salvation belong to? That's where the prayer is driving to that statement at the end. Who does your salvation belong to? Salvation, says Jonah, belongs to the Lord. That's the heartbeat of this chapter, that's the heartbeat of this book, but I say that's the heartbeat of Scripture. You can preach almost any sermon from Scripture and say at some point, salvation belongs to the Lord, don't you see? Salvation belongs to the Lord, which means salvation does not belong to you. Salvation comes to you by the pure generosity and goodness of the gods. Jonah did not earn it. He did not deserve it. He did not merit it. He did not work up pious feelings within himself. He didn't catalogue his church attendance and bring that before God. No, Jonah was, Jonah was drowning in the ocean, helpless, alone, going down to the pit. His bars were closed upon him forever, but he cried out, and the Lord answered him. That is the gospel, isn't it? That is the gospel. The salvation is unearned. It's unmerited. It's undeserved, and yet given freely to you i going to sing a hymn later on. I haven't got the words in front of me, but you know, I'm going to sing a hymn later on. Rock of Ages has that wonderful line Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. It's worth saying. I've got a few new faces this morning. If you're not a Christian, that is what the gospel is. Not bringing something to God. It's bringing nothing to God and clinging only to Christ because he was forsaken in your place. So you've just got to come, confess your needs and come. If you are a Christian, Good news is through every trial, every distress, every pain, every heartache, you do not need to fear. You are delivered through Christ. Well, then, Jonah's reflection on his salvation experience turns to resolution. Verses eight and nine. There's two things he says in there. Verse 8 and verse 9. Verse 8, says, he's going to prize the love of God. He's going to prize the love of God above all things. Verse 9, he's going to pledge his life to God. He's going to prize the love of God and pledge his life to God. Jonah had, Jonas had everything stripped away from him. He had all his own selfish sufficiency stripped away from him. He discovers the vanity, he says there, of vain idols. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You recognize that it's foolish to build your life on anything other than God's love. It's foolish to, to build yourself on anything other than God's love for me and Christ. That is the only rock worth standing on in whatever distress you ever face in your life. Verse 9, he pledges his life to God. Isn't that the, the normal response when you taste the goodness of God and, and taste the gospel and the freeness of grace? Before Jonah disobeyed, before he, he rejected his calling as a prophet. But now he says, what well, I have vowed I'll pay. With rejoicing, he says, I once disobeyed, to obey, but, but now I commit. Now I pledge. And that was borne out, by the way, in chapter three. Chapter three, beginning of chapter three, actually, beginning of chapter one, God's word came to Jonah for a second time, telling him to do basically the same thing, go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah arises and goes rather than arising and fleeing. Now, some see um, in these last few verses, uh, a sour twist to this prayer. Some say that Jonah perhaps is condemning the sailors. It's possible that they're right. Condemning the sailors, the sailors in verse 5 of chapter 1 were, were those who prayed to other gods. And so maybe Jonah's condemning them, saying they pray to vain idols, but I am going to worship the Lord. And the irony of that would be that the sailors also Worship the Lord in a very similar way that offered a sacrifice and made vows first 16 of chapter 1 and they back that up by saying you know Jonah in chapter 4 we see still isn't right with God he still has a righteous self-righteous heart he's still wayward but, but I suspect that, that Jonah here is being far more genuine than we give him credit to sometimes that he is genuinely wholly thankful that he delights in God's grace and that he's willing to go to Nineveh and that's what we see borne out in chapter 3 that he goes when called to go. But but like so many of us, we have those moments where we taste the glory of the gospel and we're filled with Christ. and We long to serve him with all our being. But then we go out. We find that our commitment, our pledges, our vows, they they waver. Jonah, I think, wavers after he speaks this later on in in the book, which we'll we'll get to in better treatment later on. He is, after all, not Jesus. He is a saved sinner. The love that he prizes in verse 8, I think, makes him grow angry in chapter 4. And his pledge in verse 9 leads to bitterness. And God, of course, in chapter 4, we see acts to change his heart. And we'll come to that later on. But isn't there something in the Christian life there? that oh, We get sunk down by doubts or by darkness around us or by our own sin crushed by our circumstances sometimes that can last, it's worth saying, for minutes it can last for days it can last for years might even last most of your life I can't tell you when distress will end and then we lift our eyes to the Lord remember the love of God for us in Christ and we rise in thanksgiving and pledge our lives to God but then the waste of the world comes back in, doesn't it? The weight of sin comes in and we sink again and we sink down and then we lift our eyes and we rise but then we sink again and go down. When does it end? As we finish, when does it end? It's worth remembering this morning that Jonah's praying this prayer not out on the seashore as he is in verse 10 but he's in the belly of the fish. He's still in considerable distress and darkness and yet he still finds it in him to praise God for his grace. It is possible even for the darkness and stress of our world or whatever you're going through to lift your heart and rejoice and praise God. But he won't be in the fish's belly forever, will he? That's the point. He won't be in the fish's belly forever. There's a fullness of deliverance coming to him, which happens in verse 10 in the micro picture. Fullness of deliverance coming to him. And there's a day coming for us when this song which we sing, this song in Jonah chapter 2, will issue from our lips. We're not going to be in the darkness of this world. We're not going to be in the fish's belly anymore. No, we're going to be clothed in white. Revelation says we're going to be holding palm branches together with brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone before us and brothers and sisters in Christ who will come after us. And we'll be singing a song very similar to this. Singing a song, Salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lamb that sits upon the throne forever. And in that day, in that time, the struggle will be over, the disobedience will be over, the guilt that some of us carry will be over, the doubts will be gone, the sighing will be gone, because we'll fully and finally, fully and finally be lifted up out of the pit. Let's pray. Father, we confess that uh, this world is for many of us so often a difficult place. That darkness often surrounds us. Our hearts are often weighed down, either with just the circumstances we're we're experiencing or the sin that crushes us. Although we cannot tell when That distress may end. You can't tell our current experience may end or what time you'll bring it to an end. We do know that it will end. That is a promise of deliverance that comes in Christ. So I pray that whatever we experience this week going forwards, whatever we suffer, whatever we taste, that you'd feed our hearts on Christ and keep our eyes focused solely on him and on his grace. We pray for his glory. Amen.